to Light and Shadow, a podcast about the complex themes presented in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. Folks, we are officially rolling. Okay. Today is Women in Horror Month Day. I'm so excited. Um, So I have Natalie. Hello. And I have Sunny. Hello. And I'm super, super excited to have these two particular ladies at my table at the same time because they are very much like me, horror nerd, art nerd, and I'm super excited that you guys are meeting each other. Yes. Natalie. Ma'am. Because I was scrolling through Time Hop today. Ma'am. Do you know that (laughs) last year when we recorded our Women in Horror Month episode, it was on this exact same day. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, it's a good sign. It's magic. It is magic. Before we dig into our topic today, which is art and horror, let's talk a little bit about you guys. I want to know how long have you been making art? And also, like, if you have, like, a niche or a specialty, what is that? Well, Sunny, why don't you kick us off? Okay. So, I guess as long as I can remember. But specifically, I guess, because I really had to think about this question. Um, (laughs) But uh, it actually started... Are you guys familiar with the album artwork from Melancholy and the Infinite Stars. Yes. Okay. I had to look up the guy's name, which is super like bland, by the way. It's just John Craig. <laughs> John Craig. Um, old John Craig. But um, his collage work, I remember seeing that when I was little. I was like, what is this? And then mm-hmm. listening to the music and trying to figure out like, you know, how it correlates that that was like one of my favorite pastimes. So, and then drawing the album artwork. So kind of got into it that way, but I'm a line work girl. All my stuff is pretty much just pen and ink. Um, I love like just the flow of like contour lines and like power of negative space. So that's kind of my jam. And if you've been listening, you know this already, but in case I forget to mention it, Sunny is the one who does all the episode artwork. So you are familiar with her work if you've been paying attention. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Nat, what about you? Um, Very similar. I'm making art for like what feels like forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I started printmaking like, three or four years ago when I was in school in Charleston and fell in love with it because I also love lines and like I paint, but it's not, I don't love it as much as I love like carving things out, printing things out. Um, So yeah, mine's like line work stuff. And it seems like lately you've been getting more back into your artwork. I've had a lot more time. Yeah. Which is really (laughs) nice. Um, Which is very strange because my life is technically more hectic now but I think it's just time management's been better Mm -hmm. and so I take things like I take projects with me wherever and work (laughs) on them when I have time and that's super nice yeah awesome okay so we're gonna get into horror as art a little bit here because I have well I don't know if I've always thought of horror as art I mean I've always loved art and some of my earliest memories was like coloring under the pews at church I would always have (laughs) a coloring book you know um And I've pretty much always loved scary things too, but I think only in the past, maybe like 10 to 15 years, I've really seen like the crossover of the two and really understood like, you know, that horror can be art and art can be dark and like seeing those parallels has been really cool. And also it it was the inspiration of the name of this podcast because Mm -hmm. chiaroscuro is an art term and it refers to super, super dark darks and the bright brights. And like, it's just a style of like high contrast, which Mm -hmm. to me, that's what horror is. It's filmmaking in a very high contrast way. Mm -hmm. For sure. (laughs) Definitely. So that's sort of my answer, I guess. But the first question (laughs) is, do you think horror can be considered art and why? 
take that one. Okay. <laughs> um, I think uh, you made a really interesting point that you were like in the last 15, 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. there has been a lot of crossover. And I think it's super important to highlight companies like A24 mm-hmm. who pride themselves on making like art house horror which has been a thing in the last 15 years and like technically has like always been a thing, but super on the fringes, like a lot of giallo films are technically that. Right. Um, You're like, I don't know what I just saw, but it's beautiful. Right. <laughs> and, and like, they don't always have to have super complex stories. They can be very thin to allow for more like visual storytelling, which I think is wonderful. Um, I also think that the idea of like, can horror be considered art also has to do with like, what scares you? Right. It makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Because if you are like if your biggest fear is drowning and you walk into like an installation that makes you feel like you're drowning, it's horror for you. Right. Yeah. So I think it's really subjective. It's a really good point. But that was a good point. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Can definitely be considered art. Um, mostly because I guess I'm coming from a more like conceptual standpoint, but I just love horror and art because it sort of forces you to have an experience that you would otherwise avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think great art is supposed to make you uncomfortable, right? Because it means you're thinking. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, You're challenging your mind. Um, It's also kind of a way of addressing certain realities, which can indeed be horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like I said, we spend a lot of time avoiding things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's Um, also the same thing. Like we like to ride roller coasters and like thrill rides. And it's fun. It's fun because it feels dangerous, but you know you're safe. Mm -hmm. So you get that same kind of rush exactly Mm -hmm. and that's yeah pretty much to the point it's a great way to confront what scares you most but just keep it at an arm's length so it's a safe way to kind of explore like that darker side which whether we like to admit it or not like you use the roller coaster example would we avoid like i mean because when you think about that you're hurling a human body at top speed through open (laughs) air like would would we avoid something like that just because no i mean a lot of people would generally say roller coasters are really fun i find them horrifying (laughs) a lot of people find them i love them yeah yeah so yeah no i think that's yeah that's a great point so it's now that we've established that horror can be art. What is your favorite artful horror film? And why do you think that that film is art? And why do you think that it resonates? Oh, man. Okay, so. <laughs> Natalie's I... referring to Sunny with her long page of notes. <laughs> After you. Okay, so Witches Are My Thing. So uh, Suspiria, the new one. The Was it 2019 or 2018? 2018, yeah. Even though the 1977 one is like visually beautiful. And 10 gorgeous. out of 10. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one specifically, and again, I'm, I'm more of a visual arts girl, but this really got me into dancing. I love dancing, but like modern dancing as a form of mm-hmm. expression mm-hmm. and how like in this movie in particular, uh, I got Damien Jallet. Is that how you say his name? Jallet. He was the choreographer for, mm. uh, for Suspiria, and he created the bulk dance. Oh, okay. Um, which is not pretty. Like the dancing no. in this movie is not pretty. It's so, very like primal, which is I thought oh, was great. I love yeah. that. <laughs> and I think that that I think it was based off of like German expressionist art, oh. which is very like that's a lot of feelings, mm-hmm. and they're all very strong. Yes, right. <laughs> aggressive. aggressive. Yeah. It's very aggressive. Yeah. 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 Right. Um. And and a lot of it, what I really loved about it was um, how there's this 
push and pull of like gravity. Like, you know, you see a mime and almost kind of gives you that same sort of like response. Mm -hmm. Like how, how do they look like they're actually working against a very specific force? And that's what this dance was. And he said he wanted to do that because he really wanted to put, push the supernatural elementary, like the ritualistic look of this dance. Mm -hmm. And it does. And I'm thinking specifically of Olga's scene, which is, should I insert a spoiler alert? (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Not it's ruined Suspiria for anyone, <laughs> but I'm about to. But uh, yeah, Olga's dance. So the the lead dancer walks out, becomes disoriented, lost in you know a, a corresponding ballet studio, and as Sarah's doing her dance, you see this this juxtaposition, which is my absolute favorite part, and it plays to that um, the supernatural power mm-hmm, mm-hmm. behind that dance. So mm. yeah, just, oh, and it's just a gorgeous movie. Yeah. Without getting too spoilery, like the main character in the movie, she's basically auditioning for a part. And as she's dancing, it's manipulating this other dancer in another part. Ooh. And so we won't tell you exactly what happens, but yeah, there's a supernatural, like physical so aspect. Like it's so hard too. to watch and it goes on <laughs> for a while, and, but you cannot look away. It's just, you and, know what that reminds me of is, um, the final act in um, uh, Black Swan. Yes. Yeah. Oh, when yeah. you like see her descent into madness and you see her like accepting this and fully falling in and you see the dance and you're horrified. Yeah. But you can't look away. Absolutely. That's what that sounds like. And That's good art. Yeah. <laughs> in Suspiria, they referenced that um, the Volk dance was choreographed at a very specific like political time when yes. like Germany was going through certain things. And so Tilda Swinton, who's always amazing, but is like uh, even more amazing in this movie. Just the way she looks and carries herself is so great. And of course, you believe that she's a world class dancer because of her look. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's talking to the dancers and she's like, this was written at this time and for this reason. And you have to perform it this way because it expresses something about who we are as a people. And that's another thing that art usually is a pretty good voice for culture yes. for what's going on and so I think making that direct parallel in that movie is another reason why it it really speaks as an art piece absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and the one the dance that I shared with Nat um mm-hmm. that this was originally based on it's from a choreographed dance that they actually perform in different sections of the Louvre so Ooh. think about how epic this is right you got three dancers, similar costumes as Suspiria, just white, mm-hmm. and it's just the three, and they perform it typically in these like marbled rooms with all of these ancient, you know, Greek statues, and it's a very oh, that's great. heavy organ, like very <laughs> simple, like tapping drum, and it feels very like you can imagine seeing this like in a temple with flames. It like, feels just, very sacred. Yes, yeah, and that's what Suspiria captured. So as an art form, yeah, for me that was just like creme de la creme, Love so it. good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, what about you? Favorite artful horror film? I had a really hard time with this question. I <laughs> um, had a really hard time with this question because there's so many good movies out there. Mm-hmm. If we're talking like modern, because it's easier to just do that right now. Because mm-hmm. if we go it's back, true. it's too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> too much goodness. It's too much goodness. Yeah. Um, I am kind of mixed right now. So my first initial thought was Mandy. Um, which okay. is I've not seen amazing. <laughs> it's very good. I won't spoil it or anything. Um, it's one of those movies that has a very like thin plot to allow for a lot of really cool visuals to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's super interesting because the movie feels very black metal without okay. ever playing black metal. <laughs> oh, which is super like it, it, it tuned into that vibe and made it a film. So you have a lot of scenes where like 
things don't always make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like they live in this like what appears to be like a glass cabin in the woods. Okay. And it's very like it feels very like ethereal at times. Um, they come into this strange predicament with this group of people that leads down rabbit hole where Nicolas Cage is free to be Nicolas Cage. And it's wonderful. <laughs> um, but it's it's a great example of a film that has a relatively thin plot to allow for a lot of great visuals. And then there's Hereditary. <gasps> so let's have this conversation really <laughs> quick. So like... <laughs> So I saw it again last night with a friend who came over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what she watched instead of a little bit. No, I told AJ too. I was like, I messed up. Um, no, it's fine. But that movie's so cool. I watch. So every time I watch it, I like catch new things, and I love to dissect things. Um, and I love that movie so much. So like, so many times when we think of like art and film, or like what is art, we think of like visual stimulation, a painting on a canvas color theory on film. Mm-hmm. This movie did a great job of highlighting miniatures as art. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wonderful the way that it's shot because yeah, they have great shots and they have great theory and it's beautiful. But a lot of the way that it's shot makes it feel very narrow. Like if you're looking into a miniature yourself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is highlighted at the very, very end, but like small shots, like when they're at the dinner table, and it's shot from like this strange corner on the other side of the room, it makes them feel far enough that you feel like you can pick them up, which is super interesting. Um, And I don't know, I also feel like as far as like movies and art being reflective of a culture, Hereditary felt very reflective of American culture for a lot of different reasons, but mainly because of the family dynamic that they had felt very American. Yeah. And that issue of like not being able to talk about what's bothering you, bottling everything up, moving on as if nothing ever happened is to me distinctly an American thing. At least something that's very like noticed in the culture. And how that festers too. Oh, it's awful. It's a, it's a disease. Um, but that's, you know, that's highlighted in this way that is almost like never even really talked about. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that in itself is like, yep, here we are. Yeah, so I am um, I'm right along with you guys on uh, on well I haven't seen Mandy yet but Hereditary and Suspiria like absolutely um, are things I would also point to but I have a really um, off the wall thing that I want to mention and that is so we watched uh, My Bloody Valentine mm-hmm. night before last um, because I love that movie <laughs> I actually just discovered it um, recently like in the past few years I just never seen it it just kind of flew, flew under the radar 81 81 okay it's an early it was slasher in the 80s yeah and uh, it's Canadian and like the Canadians as like nice and polite as they are they have enough French in them that they mm. make good horror there's mm-hmm. some really good Canadian horror but um, My Bloody Valentine is just a great slasher like you actually like the characters it's just great but the thing about it that I wanted to bring up specifically for art and horror is um, the color palette in that movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like whoever, I don't know if it was like whoever did like the color grading or whoever did the art direction, but whoever did it, and I don't know if it's because I'm watching it on a better TV this year also, <laughs> but like all the red is the same red. I saw you wow. make a post that yes. like Wes Anderson would be jealous of this color palette. <laughs> I mean, it's it was fantastic because, because it's a Valentine's Day movie and it was in the 80s, there's all these like, um, elaborate like crepe decorations mm. everywhere, but they also like uh, like the sheriff 
um, his jacket is lined with plaid. Ooh. And so like he'll have like you can you catch the plaid on the inside of his jacket every so often. And it's the exact same red that like Mabel is wearing on her sweater and that later Patty has on a red dress. And it's all the exact same red. I can't even design. find like yes. two blacks that match. I know. <laughs> and it's just gorgeous. And you look at like uh, there's this scene in the old laundry mat, which is clearly from the 50s. And like all of the uh, all of the dryers are like mint green. Ooh. And then there's pink and red crepe hanging on it. And I'm just like, this is not accidental. No. Somebody put this together in a very particular way and it's just gorgeous. I was like, I was like, this is just like a cheesy 80s slasher, but I'm like, the way this was put together is like very artful. So moving on, we are going to talk about Velvet Buzzsaw. Critique is so limiting and emotionally draining. I'm hoping you find something to explain what's happening. Which one's better? One or two? Better or worse, no different. No different. I'm quite curious to know what you think. I think sober hasn't been good for him. Pierce was in the full bloom of alcoholism here. Exactly. Never should have quit drinking. No originality. No courage. My opinion. I can't save you. I found something. Who did these? Uh, mesmeric. A uh, guy upstairs, he died. And you just took them? You had no family or friends. I can make you rich. It's brilliant. Demand has people ready to kill. Have you been proven artist in ventral deeds? No, not in our records, and we have everyone. The artist used blood to create the reddish blocks. You ever notice anything about this painting? You look at it long enough, it moves. As I research these, I'm starting to think there's a disgust for the world of money. You spent decades in a psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane. There is some sort of power. Some spirit. It's connected to his art. <gasps> Truly goddamn strange is going on! This is a slaughterhouse. Are you aware that Dee's asked that all his art be destroyed? Help! Get rid of it. Box it all. I can't save you. People thought she was part of an exhibit. We're trending on Instagram. It's a major hit. Okay, so Velvet Buzzsaw. Sunny and I have seen it. Natalie didn't get to watch it, but she researched it. I did research it. (laughs) I usually don't do that. I usually, like, never do that. Uh, but I felt super irresponsible. So I, <laughs> I read it and I am aware. Of I what mean, happens. to be fair, I gave you guys like less than a week notice. It's I was like, fine. um, hey, can you watch this movie? <laughs> so no worries. Listeners, if you haven't seen Velvet Buzzsaw, it came out last year as a Netflix movie 
And it got like, I think I'd say mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, Which I was like very surprised by. I mean, mm. it is a very niche movie. It is. But. It was uh, it was directed by Dan Gilroy, who is the same guy that did Nightcrawler. Have you guys seen Nightcrawler? Yes. Oh, you gotta it's watch it. Oh. Had it in him, dude. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's so icky and disturbing. And at the end, you're like, I'm not sure how I feel about this, yeah. but really great. Also starring Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal. Um, Velvet Bustle. It's basically about the hoity-toity snooty art world. And it does a really great job poking fun at it. It, like, kind of has a love for it, but also, like, a disdain at the same time, which, and I think the balance is really good. But then also, it inserts this, these, basically, these haunted paintings and this, like, disturbed artist. And they, uh, one of the girls in the hoity-toity art scene just discovers his paintings because he lived in her building. And it goes from there. (laughs) (laughs) So what I want to do is talk about just like some of the themes in Velvet Buzzsaw. And I believe the tagline on the poster says something like, all art is dangerous or something. Perfect. And there's, <laughs> yeah. And there's, yeah, and that's, so good. and that's, I guess, kind of the point of the, of the <laughs> whole film, you know, is that that's the point they're trying to make. My first question then is art is obviously a powerful force and not just in the lives of people who appreciate it, but like in culture everywhere, whether or not you know it, like art influences your life and sure. influences culture. So do you think that it is actually dangerous or can it become dangerous? Ooh. <laughs> um, I'm going for a resounding hell yeah. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, are, you guys, are you guys familiar with Marina Abramovich? Yes, Abramovich. Yeah, thank you. I yes. always butcher her name. She's the mother thank of performance you. art. Oh, Which okay. to me is like the most punk rock art form ever. For sure. These people will put like push their bodies to the brink to almost prove like, I feel like a sociological point. Yes. Um, because I feel like her, do you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, her I know rhythm, what you're going to say. Okay, awesome. <laughs> her rhythm zero? Yeah. Okay, well she's, so if you're not familiar with the work, do you remember what year she did this? Was it 70s? It felt like the 70s slash yeah. early 80s. Okay. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the work, again, yes, performance artist. She's, and, and this piece not only involves her, but it it drags the audience in as well. So she's standing in the middle of a gallery with a table of 72 objects next to her. And there are things like a feather, you know, um, honey, a couple different things. But then there's also a loaded gun. There's a knife. And she invites the audience to come up and do whatever they want to her. Full consent, full disclosure, um, and you will not be held responsible. Wow. So at first it starts out really gentle. People come up, they give her a kiss. Um, they'll, you know, tickle her with the feather, but her quote, like the quote of the entire like performance to me was, uh, she says, what I learned was that if you leave it up to the audience, they can kill you. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I think at the very end, and I don't know if they stopped it after this, I think they did. Um, someone actually takes the gun, loads it. And holds it. Holds it to her head mm-hmm. and wraps her fi- her own finger around the trigger and a oh, fight wow. broke out. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, I think that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. That's a yeah. fair point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think art can totally be dangerous. But, I mean, but as long as it's consenting danger, I mean, in a sense, and if the artist is willing to kind of push themselves to make that point, I think, once again, it kind of ties back to you're forcing yourself, I don't want to say forcing yourself because you're willingly engaging in this experience, right? But you're having an experience you otherwise may not, you know, you you would never find yourself in a situation Mm -hmm. like that, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But having those experiences, good or bad, but in this instance, you know, a little, a little scary, 
kind of, you know, um, I don't know, just it, it, it shows like the, the limits, you know, a person has. And then, you know, an average audience member, like what they will actually do when presented with a situation like that, which says a lot. I mean, and that was back in the 70s. Yeah, it says a lot know? about not the artist, but society, humanity, exactly. which that's what artists do best as we yeah. reflect the society back back into it. But um, the thing that I found interesting about art being dangerous as it relates to Buzzsaw specifically mm-hmm. is that the art only harms those who profit off of it. Mm-hmm. So like there is the one little girl who's like, I call her a little girl because <laughs> she's literally a little person. She's mm-hmm. uh, the girl from um, Stranger Things. God, what's her name in Stranger Things? Uh, the little she's one? the older sister. Oh, okay. Not sure. Nancy. Like, the yes, girl with Nancy. Nancy. Yes, yeah. Nancy. Mm-hmm. So she's like an assistant and she's like trying to, you know, break into the art world. That and was like, her? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I thought she looked from <laughs> so Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's like around the paintings and like right. she's in the world of it, but she gets like fired from Rodora's gallery, I think before the showing her. So she never gets harmed because she's around it and she's like watching all these things happen. She doesn't have a hand But in she it. doesn't directly right. profit off of it. So she doesn't get hurt. So the interesting thing about Velvet Buzzsaw, and I didn't really realize it the first time I watched it. I realized it the second time I watched it. I'm like, what kind of statement is that making? Because at right. the end of the movie, this um, like Columbus. art peddler on the street has found it, and he he sells a piece to a couple for like five dollars, mm-hmm. and these paintings have been selling for like millions of dollars. And so I'm like, well, is that couple and is this man now going to be harmed, or is it because it's like out on the street and it's being sold in like a pure wholesome way? Mm-hmm. Was it only like the greedy people who are peddling art to like prey on like? The aesthetic and then the like of the world is that why they're being like I was I like know, what man. is this saying? Oh. <laughs> in, in that light, he wanted all of his paintings destroyed. You know that was right. his like last will and testament. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you wonder if if and and I think there's a quote that Josephina makes um to her then like artist boyfriend who's breaking up with her because she's so shallow and caught up in that mm-hmm. you know realm. She's like, my God, what is the point of art if nobody sees it? And I think he just kisses her on the forehead and literally just walks away. Like, like yeah. you sweet, you sweet dumb thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was like the vibe. But yeah, so, I mean, you have that juxtaposition of, you know, being seen versus, you know, he wanted it destroyed and that, you know, does that speak more to the supernatural powers of like the painting or more, mm. yeah, like you're saying the corruption behind selling a high, you know, a piece of art is like a high ticket item. I have a really hard time with high art quote unquote high mm-hmm. art um, <laughs> I love the way you said that because high art. <laughs> it kills me man like so I went to school for art history for a really long time and I was doing my wow. masters and everything and then kudos dude that's a lot of memorization fam, <laughs> it was crazy but I loved it like I yeah. love art so much however the current climate slash world that we live in that like serves to sell art is in my opinion, absolute hot garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a friend that like went into that and she absolutely loves it. Like she loves going to galleries and going to like art things and doing that. I like my soul feels dirty um, <laughs> because I know that it, like uh, so many people buy art to as like a mode of like having money that they can store in a thing. Mm-hmm. And that sounds ridiculous but that's like a real thing that people do like people would purchase like art that has been claimed to be like let's say a million dollars so that they then have a million dollars that can't be liquidated but saved in something Mm -hmm. those same people that do that hoard it yeah and they never display it because to them it's not necessarily art it's like here is this product that i here is this bank account 
Mm. It's just an investment. Let me store it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so many pieces have been lost and or like in private hands never get seen Mm -hmm. um, because they don't matter. And it kills me um, because that's not why it was made. Well, this is a rabbit trail, but still on topic. So I love to collect Stephen King. And I've been collecting Stephen King books since I was a kid. I have a bunch of my mom's paperbacks. Well, I'm in a couple of groups that have been really helpful to me on Facebook that are Stephen King collecting groups. One of them is specifically like very, very rare. Like there are people on there that will pay $10,000, $20,000 for a book. However, most of like the most high end... Stephen King books are ones that have been made like in modern times, not the first editions that were specifically made as a collector's edition. Mm. They get King to sign it. Some publisher makes it. Some of these books are beautiful. A lot of them are garbage, not designed well. Um, Maybe they're put together with good materials. Maybe they're not. But there's one book in particular, and I will not name it, but it is a 25th anniversary edition of a book and it goes for like $2,500. And I'm like, I would not, I, I would never purchase this. Like you can tell like no. It feels dirty. No, And no designer was behind this. Oof. Like it's just not, it's just not a good piece of art, especially not right. for $2,500. And what people do is they will open it. They will look at it once. Mm-hmm. They will put it back in the box. They will stick it in the back of a closet and never get it out again until they want to make money off of that it. That kills me. Me as well. I'm just like, how can you have this beautiful thing and then just like hide it away? So this is kind of an interesting juxtaposition though, because I don't know if you and you as an art history major might appreciate this. Um, the I, I feel like I kind of made a connection between the artist that was in um, Velvet Buzzsaw with Henry Darger. You know Henry Darger is outsider mm-hmm. artist. Really? No oh, man. Okay, Henry Darger lived in Chicago. He had uh, it was actually it, it lines up pretty pretty well. Um, he I mean to the point where Henry Darger is actually suspected of strangling a young girl back in the Ooh. day. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, Henry Darger was also a uh, recluse. Did all of these amazing drawings. I mean, lived in this little, like, maybe 12 by 12 apartment space. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, died alone. No one knew about his work or anything. A landlord comes in, uh, a lawyer, and somebody else. They find all of this. They take his huge, beautiful... I mean, these paintings are probably, like, seven feet... Five to seven feet long. Wow. And they were all in, like, an illuminated manuscript bound book. Oof. They, They take these art pieces they rip them out they divvy them up amongst you know the whoever's sitting mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and they just start selling them off piece by piece and now guess what they're doing they're trying to match yeah they're literally taking the edges where it was ripped and matching them with the spine so they can find because it's a story it's a it's a right. whole a narrative that he created um because he did a lot of fantasy he did a lot of sci-fi love it um <laughs> So, yeah, now they're trying to figure out how it goes together. Put it back together. no one had seen it. And that I don't know if he ever had any intentions of anybody seeing it. But now the opposite thing happened. They, like, completely ripped it apart, you know, to get it out. But the intention behind it. <gasps> okay. So, um, a last question um, along with the themes of Velvet Buzzsaw. So, we talked about art being dangerous. Obviously, the work of Vetral D's and Velvet Buzzsaw is literally <laughs> dangerous and it literally kills people. So, do you think that horror should have any boundaries or do you think that filmmakers should just have free range, just do what you want, man? 
I don't like censorship <laughs> as a whole. Yeah. So I'm like, whatever, <laughs> make whatever you want. And like, if you as a parent feel like it's an, if it's like inappropriate, then you can have that conversation. I am not every person though. And that is very specific to like mm-hmm. me and mine. But I think censorship is garbage. Sweet. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I'm really happy that you asked this because I normally would agree with you. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe I'm saying this right now. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. We're getting an interesting answer. No. There is one piece or one uh, series that I had a slight issue with. Okay. Normally, I'm all for it. No problem. Do you guys remember um, the exhibit at the Guggenheim? It was the exhibit from China, and it had a lot of, like, super heavy political... uh, And it it was a series of works. This one video was called Two Dogs That Cannot Touch Each Other. They put these two pits on treadmills and pretty much, like, exhausted them. And they faced them, like, towards one another and built up this aggression. Mm -hmm. But they were tethered, so they couldn't go after one another. So they agitated them to, oh, I'm getting chills talking about it. And and see, that's why I'm so conflicted, because it's so powerful, and it made Mm -hmm. that point. But my thing is consent. Yeah. Like, Marina, you know, the audience consented, she consented punk rock awesome do it mm-hmm. but when know? it has to do with like animals and yeah. things that can't give you there that's honestly a fair point yeah um that's like the same with like um how do you call it um it's not extortion but like snuff films yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. so like that's a line for sure right. that's a line right. um animal cruelty for sure a line yeah yeah so so i guess you would say as long as it's not um like a crime against right. a, a human right. a living thing right as long as it's not a crime, then do it whatever be you crime. want. Yeah. I mean, it if it's a crime, crime. <laughs> I mean, like Marina, you know, like it would have been a crime oh, to shoot well, someone, that's but true. she put she it out there. Yeah, yeah she that's true. Yeah. Um, I guess crime in a sense of consent. Yeah. Right. And like, I mean, because animals, man, I, I see, and I, you guys probably feel the same way. You see someone die in a horror movie, you're like, meh. Animal gets hurt, you're like, hell no. I well, read a and- review for Hereditary <laughs> that was like, the movie was great. But I'm giving it a two out of ten because the dog died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and even uh, like Cannibal Holocaust, people have a oh, problem man. with that movie because they actually Killed injured chickens. real animals in that movie. Well, that's a really interesting case because apparently it wasn't like they made that happen for the movie. They, the people that lived there were apparently going to make a sacrifice anyway. And they were like, hey, can we film you? Okay. See, like, there's this, this is true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, I'm the same way. I'm pretty much, I'm like, censorship is garbage because I've had people um, ask me that kind of same question. Like, is anything fine in horror? And my, my response is always yes, mm-hmm. because like, I'm not going to go watch like a Serbian film, Mm-mm. you know? I mean, you, just because it exists doesn't mean that you have to you have to not have boundaries, right? I, sure. I have, I have my own personal boundaries and there are places I'm not going to go, but I'm not going to make the argument that, well, because I don't want to go there. I shouldn't no exist. one should go there. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think that, and I mean, as a filmmaker, you have to live with what you put out there. Mm-hmm. And you do have a responsibility because your art is going to affect someone in a way. So you have to be willing to take on that responsibility if you're going to put difficult subject matter out there. And then if there are consequences to what you put out there, you have to live with it. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, like the filmmaker just has to be willing to, to take that on, like whatever that is. Yeah. They have to know full well that that's their role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So moving on from film. Well, I guess film could fall into this as well. But so um, do you guys have like a favorite dark slash horror piece of artwork? Let me start, actually. Let me start. Do it. So, because I know that Natalie has, like, she's she's raring to go, but I'll just get my <laughs> So, I mean, I, I like pretty much anything dark, especially if it's, like, from the Renaissance or, like, medieval period. But um, I love The Nightmare by Fuseli, which is a romantic piece. It hurts my heart. It's actually mm-hmm. hanging in my bedroom. It I used, love you for that. Yes. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> oh God, it used great. to hang in our dining room at our old apartment. And that was some interesting conversation. So mm. um, if, I would put two copies. Yeah. One dining room. <laughs> so good. So if, if listeners, if you're not familiar with The Nightmare, it's basically um, a Victorian woman like laid out on a chaise or something and she's like dreaming and she's very like romantic looking but there's this little like demon man sitting on her chest and the the background is super black except there's this horse head like peeking through the darkness and so she's obviously having some sort of it's terrifying yeah some sort of who knows nightmare experience whatever but it's beautiful it's beautiful do we know why the horse head is there I don't I don't think we do. I don't know. Also, side note, if you look up <laughs> sleep paralysis um on Wikipedia, yes. that's oh. the photo that shows yes. up. Mm-hmm. Because people say it feels like you, there's an entity on your chest. I used to have sleep paralysis. Oh, and it was sorry. absolutely terrifying. And whenever I would see the nightmare, it would like hurt my heart. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> but I think that's what makes it such good art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean you it it People like normies who have come into my house and seen it, um, I feel like people have an interesting reaction to it. Like uh, the people who do comment on it usually aren't like, Ugh. they're usually like, oh, like what is, you know, they're like curious about it, which yeah. I think is neat. But my other, I think, favorite dark piece is Saturn devouring his son. By Goya, because yes. it's, it's kind of ugly. Like it's very oh, like, ugly. it's perfect. It's primitive and yes, ugly. And exactly. then like the... um Saturn is like this big creature, but then his son is this little human creature. It's just very strange. Very, yeah. yeah. And there are lots of versions of Saturn devouring his uh-huh. son, but the one by Goya is just so terrifying. Is that the one that they found in his house? Let's talk about Can it. They? Okay, okay. Good. You know, so yes. this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about because I knew that you said. Sorry, I knew that that was on your list, and I was like, "Oh, girl, yeah. we're about to go there." So for me, I love Goya so much for so many He's reasons. So weird. He, I truly believe that he was a haunted oh, man okay. at the end of his life because that painting and also a series of paintings which are referred to as Goya's black paintings were actually found on the walls (laughs) oh so metal (laughs) were actually found on the walls of his house after he had died he became a recluse so what's really interesting about Goya is he used to be a court painter um, for the Spanish monarchy uh-huh. and for a while he like you know he did his job but he always made like strange paintings in addition to like, like dude his paintings of the monarchs <laughs> sometimes he would like add syphilis sores and stuff casually and they wouldn't catch it <laughs> and it was fine um but because of that so like Saturn devouring his children is Saturn devouring his children but is also like a commentary on the monarchy and the idea that Saturn, Saturn devoured his children because he was scared of his children taking over into power. Oh, wow. And so the Spanish Revolution led to, like, a lot of people trying to overthrow the Spanish monarchs, which led to him making this depiction of Saturn devouring his children. Because it was the idea of, like, the crown being afraid of the people. Um, I love him (laughs) so much. Um, For me, um, I love that one. Mm -hmm. 
I also love um, the witches gathering that he made. The witches Sabbath is what it's called, and it's also another black painting. So luckily enough, AJ and I got to go see these paintings in real life, and they take up an entire room. And when you see how large they are, like they're unsettling. It's more unsettling because right. Uh, It's like a whole, like the whole side of my house is the size of that painting. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how did you sleep? Did you sleep? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. So Sunny, what about you? What are your favorite dark? Normally I'm like in the realm of like, you know, same sort of era. I love that. But I knew we were going to talk about it. So I was like, all right, I got to find something a little bit different. And I'm so glad you wore that shirt. Can you? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Who is this artist? Junji Ito. Jun- okay. Yes. 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 Who makes amazing, like, what's the genre? It's technically specific? considered Japanese horror. Okay. Um, But he, so he's a comic book writer who writes and draws all of his own stories. Usually they're teams of people that will, like one will do, two two or one person will do the writing, one or two people will do the art. Um, But he does both because they are his babies. Um, (laughs) And I'm wearing a shirt that has scenes from his work Uzumaki. Which is the book that you've given me to read. Yes, Yes. it is wonderful. He's incredible. Yeah. So so his probably, I would assume, influence. Have you guys ever heard of the 28 famous murder Japanese prince? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They are disgusting and beautiful all at once, which is why I love them. Um, They're famous depictions of murder in Japanese history, and I think old kabuki plays as well. I love that. Oh, yeah. Um, And they're gorgeous. They're so gory, but they are uh, just beautiful. They're beautiful. Um, And I think... The actual, and that's why I asked the genre, um, because these specifically, when they came out at the time, which I want to say was like 1800s, they were called Muzani, which means bloody prince. So this became its its own genre, which is amazing. I mean, in light of what we're talking about, you know, you know, art, uh, or I mean, horror, you know, doesn't have any place in art. These sold like hotcakes. It was like the Japanese version of pulp. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And everybody loved them, mm-hmm. um, which only speaks to, yeah, we, we like dark stuff as a society. Well, because it's, it's part of life. Exactly. Death yeah. and, you know, all of that is part of life. Well, I mean, you think about saints and martyrdom. Mm-hmm. It, it attributes to their greatness. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of that can be said about horror, too, as a vehicle for greatness in a way. You know, and I think that's a lot of what these prints exemplify, that they they focus on, like, the tragedy, you know. And, and again, they're just gorgeous. And the color scheme in them, they're, they're beautiful. And, again, line work. You know, I th- just, yes. So I think Japanese, like, that series of Japanese prints is super interesting because they are really big on, like, super strong lines mm-hmm. and, like, kind of pallid colors, mm-hmm. but in a way to where they highlight the reds. Yes. Um, yes. And they... As, I don't know, man. I think Japanese folklore is, like, some of the most terrifying stuff. Oh, so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, and, you know, J-horror, I mean, is a whole mm-hmm. subgenre and has such a specific style. And same thing with, uh, actually forgot to mention earlier, but New French Extremity. Yeah. To me, is it's some of the roughest stuff I've ever watched, but I always describe it to people as, like, beautiful violence. Mm. Like, the French just know how to put together a gorgeous, like, gory picture, which those prints, it's very similar. 
No, you don't. Pretty. You don't even notice at first, <laughs> right. and then you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, <laughs> you start seeing where the lines connect, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> okay, this is, yeah. this those is are good. This is great stuff." Also, before we move on, like, gotta shout out to my man Bosch, right? Oh, your boy. <laughs> so, really funny story, and Love I'm your tattoo, so by the sorry. Way, Thank you. The so first much. time I met yeah. Natalie, I saw that, and that's how I knew we were gonna be, <laughs> be friends. You know? Yeah, that's super. Um, so, okay, before we say goodbye today. What horror artists do you guys want to recommend to our listeners? Oh, man. I don't know if you guys are ready for this one. Oh. <laughs> All right. She almost got kicked out of art school. Oh. They almost forced her to... Well, they, I think they tried to force her to go to psychotherapy because they said she was crazy. Wow. They wanted her to take classes on feminism because they wanted her to take some sort of moral stance on her work. She refused oh, to take. Okay. Wow. Her name is... And I'm going to... See? Me and names. I just... I don't know. <laughs> Darja. It's D-A-R-J-A. And her last name is... Bajik? B-A-J-A-G-I-C. Bajik? Yes. Bajik. That sounds right. <laughs> um, she grew up uh, kind of between, oh my gosh, she's been all over the place, um, Egypt and Chicago. So she's actually witnessed a lot of violence. Okay. Um, her best friend was murdered at a really young age. And um, she was actually very sheltered, I think, by her mother after that happened. Um, so she spent a lot of time on the internet, right? As a lot of us probably did mm-hmm. around, all around the mm-hmm. same age, right? So she found a lot of creepy stuff. Um, and what she saw was kind of this juxtaposition of, you know, certain victims would, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of really horrible sites that exist, right? These gore, like right. fetish sites and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, and the juxtaposition that she saw, like, for example, one woman was a decapitation victim, and not only was she, like, disemboweled in her death, but then this comment section, she said, was, like, probably one of the worst things she's ever seen. Because, mm. you know, you, it's almost like going through that a second time. Right. Um, oh, wow. Cool. So, yeah, it's it's rough stuff. But, man, I mean, again, you talk about art that makes you uncomfortable, but for a good reason. Uncomfortable. Yeah. She is the bee's knees. One of her favorite – or one of, I'm sorry. One of my favorite pieces of hers is called X-Axis. But it's X as in E-X and axes as in American Psycho. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> and it's just a series of these beautiful uh, axes on the walls. And it looks like there's a reflection almost of like your victim. So if you were holding this axe and you were to, like to see the reflection of someone's face in it, but they're all um, porn stars that have been murdered. Wow. Yeah, dude. It's wow. Her stuff, yeah, that's yeah. It's it's like I said, <laughs> it's the bee's knee. She's great. Wow. Yeah. But she really forces you. She's she's interested in in uh, dualities and stories. Yeah. So you know you have to kind of present the churrascura, right? The churrascura mm-hmm. aspect of both things in order for someone to make their own decision. And you can't lead them in necessarily you know a positive or negative light. Some things just are what they are, yeah. and sometimes they are just ugly. Which full circle, that is what I think is kind of great about films like The Lighthouse, mm. in that I know there's meaning there. But on upon my immediate watch, I wasn't sure what it was, right. mm. and I'm like, and part of me was like, oh, I want to go research this, but part of me was like, I don't want to, like, I just want to sit with it Isn't and figure it out on my that, own. It gives you, you don't see that a lot yeah. anymore. Yeah. It, it it implants a feeling, which it's so easy to sit there and tell somebody something, right? And I think that's what she's saying is, I would rather them like whatever feeling they walk away with. That's exactly what they're supposed to get out of. That's it, how, you know? I don't know if you ever listened to Sissimova Down. Yeah, um, but they had a thing for a really 
long time where like anytime they did an interview and people asked them what the meaning of a song was they're like just listen to the song man yeah like yeah. they would not tell them to like an obnoxious point but it was <laughs> honestly perfect yeah but i love that yeah. yeah man yeah it's heavy stuff so good <laughs> All right, Nat, what you got for us? There's two guys. Okay. Um, one of them, his name is Christopher Michael Hefner, and he is an artist. I think he's based out of Chicago. Um, makes these really weird – it's not even really hard, but it makes me super unsettled. Um, these very strange, like, charcoal drawings that feel off. It okay. feels like – some of them feel like you shouldn't be there. Okay. And others just feel like – I don't yeah, know. I'm it has over your shoulder. Here. Yeah, it has a really cool like Twin Peaksy vibe in that like there's a secretive thing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have he does these really cool photos where like there's one with a woman zipping up her dress, but there's no body. Okay, it's very fun. You know what? Some of those drawings also remind me of the same style that mm-hmm. was in the original uh, like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah, books. it's the yeah. same idea. Yeah, that weird like hazy yeah. grayscale style, surreal. Yeah, reaction. lots of surreal. Yeah. I think he uses charcoal too, so it gives it that kind of like wash, like almost like disappearing. Right. Mm-hmm. right. But also yeah, like drippy. it's a weird yeah. ethereal thing where like it's there, mm-hmm. you know it's there, but it where the off. edges. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, great. And filmmaking wise. So it's really interesting because there are two gentlemen right now that are making films that I'm very excited about. And they're not necessarily the best films in the world, but they are extremely original. And I'm so glad they exist. One of which is Ari Aster, Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. did Hereditary Midsummer. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is, um, I think his name is Robert Eagers. Oh, yeah. He's the guy that did The White House House and The Witch. Witch. (laughs) I'm so happy that they are making art right now Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like they're inciting this. Like, they're they're highlighting the art house movement that already exists with horror. And it's just nice. Also, thanks, A24. Plug for you. (laughs) Right. Well, also, um, when I was kind of researching when when I knew we were all going to sit down and have this powwow, um, reading about art and horror, like, it hasn't been taken, or I'm sorry, horror and art, Mm -hmm. that it is one of the most, like, (laughs) dare I say, bastardized forms or genres of art. Mm, You know, I feel like it, it gets the same treatment as, like, pulp comics did, you know, back in the day in the world of literature. And now we're giving, you know, all of these awards to graphic novels. So, um... Yeah, like, I think it starts with, you know, just making it visually beautiful. Because for so long, like, honestly, and I think, Nicole, you and I have talked about this, too. I had a really hard time watching newer horror films because it was all jump factor, everything, like, the volume so just many jump up. scares. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just... And you're, and you're like, lazy. where's the mystery? Yeah. Where's, where's the lazy? mystery? <laughs> not even where's the mystery. It's where's the mystery? Where's the beauty? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, it's not well-crafted, man. Like, mm-hmm. I hate to say this, but Blumhouse... What are you doing? Well, Blumhouse, <laughs> Blumhouse, I have mixed feelings on because they've done a lot of great stuff, but yeah, they also put out a lot of crap. But I do think that Jason Blum is like a true believer. Cool. And is truly is a champion of horror. Cool. So I, I don't think that like a lot of other studios are just trying to make a quick buck. Mm. I don't get that vibe from him. So he's not a horror filmmaker himself, right. but I do feel like if you're going to have a producer in your corner – Without knowing anything about him personally, I feel like he's one of the good guys. That's fair. Possibly. Now, we'll see what happens over the next five to ten years. I do like that they kind of just let people do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that a lot of it comes out to be poop. <laughs> yes. But the ones that are, like, shiny are so shiny. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really nice. And yeah. I think, I don't know, I think me, like, fangirling over E24 is really just because I'm like, I don't know, I get it. I get it, listeners. I'm gross art. I'm, I stew in it. I get it. <laughs> um, but, you know, they make good stuff. And some people are like, that's pretentious. And I'm like, so? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's it's uh, it's okay to be pretentious. Yeah, we I can we can love a lot of things. I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so one filmmaker that um, I want people to be on the lookout for is um, a man named Nick Antosca. Mm. He is responsible for the Channel Zero TV show. Have you guys seen Channel no, Zero? Never even heard of it. So Channel Zero was on Sci-Fi, mm. and it was four seasons, and every season was based on a different creepy pasta story. We've <gasps> talked about this. Oh. Yes. So there was the guy with the there teeth. was a yes, yes. <laughs> Candle Cove, No End House, Butcher's Block, and The Dream Door. All four seasons were a vision and underseen. Okay, let me get my pen. Um, (laughs) Now, I'm a real, like, I'm a real stickler for an ending. And, like, I can't say I was, like, fully satisfied by the end of each season. But, like, I kind of don't care Mm -hmm. because he obviously has a vision for a story and he understands what's scary. There are super striking visuals in every season. Mm -hmm. And um, I've watched every season twice now. Wow. There are six episodes each, so it's like an easy watch. Um, but to me, it's some of the like most compelling stuff I've seen in horror this decade. And like, everybody's been wow. coming out with their best of decade lists, and mostly TV shows aren't on there. But to me, I, I'm just like, this is quality. What's his name again? Uh, Nick Antosca. Nick he was Antosca. also a producer on Hannibal. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Another visually striking show. Why didn't we talk about Hannibal? I know, I know, I know. I kept waiting for a place to insert it. But Holy moly. So okay. you can tell, like, a lot of that visual, that just beautiful, capable visual style that happens in Hannibal, you oh. see that to a lesser degree in, in uh, Channel Zero because okay. obviously the budget is low. Yeah. Um, but his, uh, I think it's his first movie, Antlers. I just saw out. that, and I'm so excited that he's involved. Okay. Yes. You know what? It's I've actually heard great things. I mm-hmm. was very skeptical about it because, I mean, it sounds yeah. a little goofy, right? Sure. I've heard goofy. so many great things about yeah. it. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about that movie because of your episode on, um, what are they called? The Wendigo. The Wendigo. Yeah, it's because that's one of my for sure a Wendigo story. <laughs> See, I haven't even read anything about it. I just I'm know that sorry. he wrote the story, and I'm like, I don't care what it's about. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. It's probably going to be a Wendigo, a Wendigo story. story. Based oh. off the one trailer that I saw for Okay, it. okay. I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> so everybody knows about Ari Aster and Jordan Peele and Robert Eggers, but like, I think Nick Antosca, I think he's a dark horse. I think if you love horror and you love striking visuals, you need to keep your eye on this man. I'm clear. here for it. Yeah, yeah definitely. for sure. Oh, well, guys, <laughs> I feel great. like we've talked about all the things. Right. So now it's your time to plug yourself. Tell people where they can find you. Talk about all the things. All right. So um, I do make creepy artwork myself, obviously. And I post most of that on my Instagram, which is uh, arrows in arrows. It's arrows, A-R-R-O-W-S dot I-N dot E-R-O-S. Arrows has in Cupid arrows. Happy Valentine's Day. A lot of people didn't realize that, but um, like, yeah, or make that connection. But Uh, my Instagram is Luna the Spook, L-U-N-A-T-H-E Spook, (laughs) I-E Spooky. (laughs) And I'm making a lot of religious art right now. But I'm Love trying it. to find my mm-hmm. way back and have them make babies. 
So yes, <laughs> that's where I am. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, women in Horror is obviously really special to me. A, because it's women and I'm a woman. Good start. But also because it's February and it's my birth month. So there's just a lot of really great like crossovers there. When is your birthday? It was the sixth. Oh, it was. Yeah, I did not bring you a birthday present. Oh, it's okay. Your your <laughs> presence is, is my a present. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, listeners, thank you for being with us today. Um, please, please, please watch films that were made by women. Watch films with strong female protagonists. Get out there, support some women that are doing spooky things, and um, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>